do we have to talk about Friday night? Last week, Salem Bath somehow managed to outdo their dire 7-7 draw at the wreck earlier in the season with an attritional 6-3 arm wrestle that's ultimately resulted in the Sharks claiming the spoils and four valuable points. My name is Lewis. There's precious little on-field action to talk about this week. Welcome back inside the Shark Tank. and I'm joined by my co-host Alex. Alex, how are you? I'm very good, thanks, mate. I'm better than I was on Friday night. I mean, a win's good, but I did have to travel five hours to get to the game, as I was telling you. And it really made it worth it to watch nine whole points. It was roughly two points per one hour of travel, which is absolutely delightful. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm good, you know. It's still four points at the end of the day, and it could have been a lot worse. We could have travelled three hours up the M6 on a Friday night to watch our team lose 6-3 at sale. Mm. That would be even worse. Yeah, I mean, it may, what makes all of this so much worse is the fact that the game was on BT as well. So you could have saved yourself five hours and still got probably a better view of the action sat, uh, sat in Newbury watching uh, watching on the TV. I know, don't, don't remind me, mate. It is... It is a massive, uh, well, it always happens on BT, doesn't it? The BT curse strikes again. I know you're not a believer, but... My understanding of the curse was that it was Sale can never win whilst we're on BT. We've actually won a couple of times now whilst we're on BT. The problem is, uh, Wasps last season aside, they've not necessarily been particularly pretty wins. No, they never are, aren't they? We can play some excellent rugby and we seem to save it all for when no one's watching. (laughs) Well... As you may have guessed, which we're trying to vamp a little bit to start because there's really not a lot to talk about this week. We were talking off the air um, about sort of key points that we wanted to raise on the podcast this week, and my goodness, there are so very few. Um, so I'm going to start, Alex. How on earth did Taylor and Bath manage to somehow outdo that terrible game we saw at the wreck in in December? You know, how did they manage to surpass that and produce probably an even less entertaining game of rugby on Friday night? Um, I think there's a few factors at play. The weather was a big one. It was rubbish weather um, for most of the game, windy and rainy, and neither team played it well. I think when you've got Sale with De Klerk at nine and Bath with Burns at ten, you've naturally got two quite attacking sort of minded teams with those key playmakers, and you haven't really got um, you know, the, the likes of Owen Farrell who would just push the ball into the corner and play pragmatically. What you've got is, is two teams who sort of seem driven to try and attack. And, you know, credit to them for that. But it was not a night for attacking. It was two very good defences as well, I think. Um, one massive positive for sale out of this result is that our defence was just rock solid. Um, some poor kicking from Bath obviously contributed to probably them not getting the momentum. They... They started very well, but didn't execute anything. It was a bit like watching Sale at times this season. You know where we have those moments where we play brilliantly, but just don't put enough points on the board. Yeah. Um, and Bath did that. I think they just really struggled to actually score any meaningful points. And partially credit to our defence, partially credit to you know their lack of execution. Um, and then it just turned into a proper dogfight, didn't it? And and you know I was saying in in the second half, even sort of first half of the second half um, we were playing around our own 10 metre line and it's like you've been playing for 60 minutes everyone's knackered we're going nowhere put it into their half and play in their half and I think it was a little pretty poor game management from both teams to be honest because I think the game was there on a plate to win because there was you know bad mistakes and sort of bad game management on both sides so 
it's it's just one of those one of those aberrations, isn't it? And you very rarely see them in rugby, but um, when it happens, it is memorable for all the wrong reasons. And to be fair, it wasn't a bad game. It was one of those, you know, it's a bit like an entertaining nil-nil draw. Really, there was some good rugby at times, and really, it was characterised by a lot of mistakes, especially from Sale. For me. Yeah, I think it's really important to consider that game management aspect as to why we didn't see many tries or points scored on Friday night because I think the conditions were poor but they weren't terrible and they certainly weren't bad enough to justify completely killing off the game um, and I think if you compare that to actually the game that you we saw in December at the wreck where conditions were even worse and the two teams still managed to bag a try apiece I think it just shows how poor both teams were on Friday night in that they could only muster nine points between them um, but obviously, there's a feeling of satisfaction for pulling out a, a very important victory, and we'll get onto that later on in terms of the makeup of, of the table following Friday night's result. But there's also obviously a feeling of, of disappointment and relative disinterest in the game just because there was so little happening. Not even uh, the BT Sport commentators were tweeting after the game about once in 80 minutes of their life back. <laughs> I know, well, I think um, I didn't, I still haven't heard this so much on BT, but I think Steve Diamond gave us the most entertaining moment of the game when talking about our bench, didn't he? Um, that was being mentioned after the game um, in the bar, but yeah, uh, it, it was one of, it was, a, it, it was a game that I think we'll all instantly forget. Um, thank God we came out on the right side of it, is all you can say. It's, you know, you can't even pull out individual other than the Currys who were absolutely outstanding there wasn't really any individual performances that stuck out either no. I think it partially you know well the wingers were never going to have a good game were they because they weren't going to get any ball um, you know I think that's the other thing Luke James had quite a good game but Bath put him under no pressure they didn't put any you know he's, he, if I was top back at I'm going this kid's played three or four games at full back he was playing back row two years ago he's chucking it down Stick him under some pressure. He's got Cock and a Singer running at him. If you put him, if you put the high ball up, and Jamie Roberts coming through the centre, it just it's that whole game management thing. I think both teams are really, really poor. And you know, when you see that, like a Batsmall, you know, was really good, but they never put it into mm. the line out ten or five metres out to try and roll it over. It's just it was it was baffling for a professional two professional sides. It was actually really poor. I think, yeah, just you mentioned Cochinacega and um, Jimmy Roberts. I think it was in the 75th minute or something like that that Roberts actually had his first carry of the game. And, and it was so surprising that the BT Sport commentators, you know, explicitly mentioned how this this was the first time he's really had the ball in an attacking position. And you do think in a game like that we saw on Friday, it is going to be, you know, stick it up your jumper rugby. And it means that you need to sort of get your big bulky ball carriers into the game wherever you can. And that includes in the back line. And that actually takes us very nice onto our three-word reviews. Um, because the first one I wanted to pull out, Matt Arrowsmith, Sale Miss Rohan. I think this is a, a brilliant game for someone like Van Rensburg. Um, someone who can break the game line, cause the opposition some issues, and then maybe look at uh, bringing some of the wider players into the game when there's actually a chance of, of broken field play. Um, and then you won't be surprised to hear that a lot of the other uh, three-word reviews touch upon the, the, the subjects we've already mentioned so far. Uh, Sale Sharks fans, four points. Next, uh, Tom, poor weather slash game. Uh, sea of Gold, ugly but needed. Jeremy, sixth, 
two wins. Joe Russell, cold and dull. Uh, Jamie McAndrew, defence coach porn. And Alex Everington, one, move on. Well, unfortunately, we can't move on. We still have a game to talk about. But let's try and pick out something of note uh, from the game on Friday. And let, let's start with the defence because I think Sale's defence on the whole this season has been pretty resolute and reasonably strong. A couple of aberrations uh, away from home aside. But even with the conditions, even with both teams playing really poorly, it's still an impressive achievement to keep a team to three points in a, uh, in a game of professional rugby across the entire 80 minutes. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, it's it's one of those results. Sometimes you feel like when other teams get into the 22, they're just going to score. And actually on Friday, to be fair, I was relatively, I was. it's the most confident I've ever been about us defending the lead. Even when we had that, Bath got that scrum with, you know, uh, 10 seconds left on the clock or whatever which we can come to later because that blew my mind um, but you know that's that's a very strange feeling for me as a Sale fan to be sat there and think yeah we're actually going to keep them out here and it was it was a really good defensive performance I don't think Bath offered a lot um, but we just forced them back inside in the right places um, we had them at the breakdown I think the Currys beat Underhill on balance I think Underhill had a couple of good moments but some of the turn that turnover by Tom Curry when Bath made the break was just world class, absolutely world class. But I think there were a couple of times when you saw Tom and Ben getting their head over the ball and just not being moved, and that was so important to stifling Bath's momentum, which is probably another feature of the game. And neither team really got any momentum going. We couldn't keep it in hand for more than three phases, and Bath just couldn't compete at the breakdown really with with the two Currys, and it was you know. We talk about that back row as probably being a bit lightweight, and, and it is, but it was a real, real good example of what they can do and what they can bring to a game in conditions that you would probably say don't suit them. I think that's exactly it. I mean, we've been talking about this ongoing experiment with Curry Curry Ross as, as the back row, and I actually think Friday night, with the conditions that we saw with Bath, who were a big physical team, was probably actually not the scenario in which Curry Curry Ross would be your optimal back row. Um, trio but what I thought was really interesting was that actually even though on paper it wasn't a matchup that would suit the three of them it actually on the field it worked perfectly and I think you can directly attribute sales win on Friday to the work that those three did because actually with conditions poor with there not being a lot of space to run into with ha- you know passes not going to hand and everything else it just meant it was a, a complete scrap both at the breakdown and in play. And that suited the Curries to a tee because they weren't necessarily asked to do uh, a lot of carrying over the game line. And if they were, that responsibility was going to John O'Ross, who I thought had you know, another quietly very impressive game. And whilst we really struggled to win dominant collisions throughout the entire game, but especially in the first half, and for a moment I was very, very worried that you know, Bath had eventually managed to pummel us uh, into giving up a couple of penalties and, and, and snatching a win. I thought actually as the game went on and the game opened up a little bit because of the complete lack of scoring, it just worked perfectly in the Curry's favour because it just meant that all they had to do was tackle uh, one-out runners, get them onto the ground and then uh, try and get over the ball. And I think what is so important to this evolution of Curry-Curry-Ross as a trio is both Currys being able to play very well alongside each other. Because I think at times we've seen Tom Curry have a really good game or we've seen Ben Curry have a really good game. And there's very very few times when the two of them together, because the skill sets are so similar, actually 
produce two man of the match performances or two very strong performances or two performances where they outplay their opposite numbers. But actually on Friday, Tom Curry gets man of the match on us, but it could have very much it could have just as easily gone to Ben Curry, who I thought was absolutely superb and did everything that Tom did. Um, and I think it's as as the games develop, there are, there are slight similar uh, differences in their games in addition to the similarities. It'd be really interesting to see if Sale can sort of hone and craft those differences so they become slightly different players and then work really well together. Because you saw on Friday, when those two players are, are playing together at that peak level, Sale are nearly impossible to beat. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you look at, at what we want to do and making yourself difficult to beat is the first step. Because, you know, we've we've got attacking talent and I think our attack has, has not really, you know, gone this season as well as, as well as it has in the past At for all. a number of reasons. <laughs> um, but I think be, making yourself really hard to beat, which is what we were when over Christmas when we had that really good run, you know, against Saracens, we didn't really, at home when we won, we didn't really offer much an attack. We were just difficult to beat. And it's the same, you know, Gloucester was a slight aberration, but it was more that, you know, we took our chances when they came to us, but we were still difficult to beat. They weren't getting anything out of us. And I think that's what you've got to start, where you've got to start with your foundation. If you look at what someone like Saracens or Exeter have done, you start off by making yourself defensively sound. You get that system in place, and then you build the attack from there. Because it's much easier to go. You know, we we've talked a bit um, amongst ourselves about the lack of tries and lack of bonus points this season, and that is a concern. But if you're trying to build a title-winning side, I think you've got to start with the defence and then go to the attack. Because you know, you look at any sort of team. You know, Quinns who are really good ball in hand attacking. Their one big weakness over the years has been that you know it gets into high-scoring games and you can end up on the losing side. And if your attack isn't going, then you just get absolutely hammered. So having a really solid defence is something that's massively important. And having the curries and the breakdown was a massive part of that. The other person I probably sort of uh, credit for the success of that trio as well, our own is James Phillips, because having that bulk in the second row means that you've got a bit more leeway to play with that lighter, lightweight back row and he has just been outstanding he gets better every game he was brilliant again and he was perfect conditions for him but you know what what a signing he's been for someone who we sort of said oh we're not sure you know what he'll do what he'll bring to the team he's probably fast becoming one of our most important players in a, in a position in a second row where this season we were looking a bit lightweight without if you, you know you think about our season without him and it looks really, really different. Mm. So I think he deserves a massive amount of credit, um, not only for Friday night, but for the whole season. What's interesting on James Phillips as well was when he was signed last season, um, I don't know about you, Alex, but there was some uncertainty about what position he'd play because when he was at Bath, he predominantly uh, turned out at six or eight. Um, he played sort of similar positions for the other clubs he'd been at. And obviously when Sales signed him as a lock, it was not necessarily... Uh, a complete shock but it was a little bit of a surprise because his recent form especially at premiership level had been at um, had been in the back row and it is something we've not actually seen this season and, and I was interested to see whether or not it would happen with, with someone like Phillips maybe stepping into the back row um, for 
uh, a game or two just to offer something a little bit different because we've seen how well he can play as a as a, as a sort of primary ball carrier. But yeah, I think he was absolutely fantastic and sales scrum went very well um, on Friday night, as did the mall um, and all these little areas where in the previous seasons we've, we've kind of struggled and, and could have ultimately been the difference in a game where there was very little difference between the two teams. Ultimately meant that we could basically play out to, you know, a, a, a score draw with Bath and then this is these few moments where Sailor getting the better of them at the breakdown and forcing penalties or whatever else is what basically provides the victory. So I think, you know, a massive amount of credit has to go to, to him and Joe Jones as well, who I thought had an absolutely fantastic game. And you're nodding your head, Alex, so I'm guessing that's who you wanted to talk about as well. But yeah, 50, uh, 51 minutes um, off the bench uh, for Joe Jones uh, after Will Gutron had to... Uh, go off with an injury um, very again sort of very solid operator we've seen for sale this season without necessarily having much fanfare and again didn't do anything special just made his tackles carried the ball a little bit um, did very well sort of dealing with the threat of Beno Obono uh, at the scrum time and it's just all these it's all these little players in a, in a game where there wasn't really an opportunity for your absolute stars to shine having a, a full squad of, of players who can play to that premiership standard was ultimately enough um, to make sure Sale were on par with Bath and then, you know, a little bit of magic from the Corey brothers um, and, you know, a couple of penalties from McGinty and all of a sudden we've come away with four points without really having to, A, play that or play particularly well and, B, do that much. Yeah, completely. I think the Joe Jones point is a really important one because when he, you know, when what we signed him at the start of the season three or was it two seasons ago? No, start, start of the season. season. That season, yeah, as a sort of project five academy player. Yeah, five-year deal. And, you know, I think what's what's quite impressive is that we said for a long time we, we need a tight head prop. And, you know, we we could have gone out and spent a shadow of cash on a tight head prop and that probably would have been a more relaxed solution to, to the problem. But what we've actually done, and I think you have to give massive credit to Steve Diamond for this, is we picked out Will Griff John, um, who is an absolute star. Didn't have a great game on Friday, but I don't think he was right from the start no. or from early on. Um, I think Cockney Singer ran over him at one point, didn't he? I don't know whether that sort of was the trigger, but he, he didn't look right from the start to me. So I don't think that performance is necessarily um, representative of, of how he sort of, of, of him as a player. Um, but then Joe Jones as well. is un, unbelievable performance from him, I thought, because... At no point did the scrum look in danger when he was on the field. Um, I think it looked more in danger when Wilgrip John was on the field, which is just baffling. You know, for a, for a guy who came in as effectively an academy player, um, and Ben O'Barner is a pretty good prop and probably would be in the England setup had he not been, were it not for injuries. Um, to, to sort of deal with him like that and win penalties off him was, was absolutely outstanding. And as you say, just quietly, you know, the tackles, the carries, they're all or part of it as well, but a massive, massive influence at scrum time. And I think, you know, we've we've sort of done it again, haven't we? You know, we had Ravan Kovalas and we picked up this unknown player and actually turned him into, you know, bordering on a world-class prop. And we, you can see it happening again. Um, I bought the rugby paper for the first time in a long time this weekend on my way down. In fact, that's Newbridge for some light reading. And um, they're talking about Will Griff John. Shane Williams is talking about Will Griff John for Wales as a bolter mm. for the World Cup. And... To be fair, it's fully deserved because you look at Wales' tight options and, you know, you would say he's, he's probably not first choice or he's definitely not first choice, but he's got to be in the conversation, I think, with his performances. And Joe Jones, you know, in a year or two, 
could well be in the same position. I just think it's a massive credit to both the players themselves, probably Dorian West, mm, um, definitely. who we gave a permanent deal to this week as well, and Steve Diamond. So, yeah, as you say, these games, when it comes down to this stage of the season and these types of games, having that full squad is really important. And I think we are building it. And you see, with the likes of Postlethwaite coming off the bench, who I thought had a really good game when he came on, um, we're building that sort of depth that hopefully next season will mean that instead of fighting for sixth, we're fighting for top four. Right, I've got some stats for you from uh, the sale bath game. Um, I'll read them out to you, and then you can, you can sort of pick which one you want to jump off on and, uh, and have a discussion on. Uh, so between the two teams on Friday night, they conceded 25 penalties. Uh, between the two teams on Friday night, they conceded 32 turnovers. Jesus. These stats are from ESPN, by the way, so I'm not, I'm not going to draw down into each one, but... Um, Bath went one for four from the kicking tee for a 25% success rate, and Sale went two for three off the kicking tee for a 67% success rate. Uh, so, Alex, which one of those do you want to use just as a, a jumping off point? So, perhaps hopefully summarise the game. Um, well, I think the kicking one is, is the massive one because Bath, A, should have been nine points up within the first half an hour and really should have won this game 12 6 because our, the kick we missed from AJ was outside his range really and I think yeah. it was more a sort of uh, a hopeful one hit and hope yeah I, to be honest I thought Faf would have kicked it um, because of where it was but clearly AJ thought he had the range and to be fair he wasn't, wasn't far off I don't think I think he I actually think, had the distance on it, yeah, it just it was just wide just wide then that was from four, uh, but I think that's meters. because it was at the edge of his range yeah, and yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's probably one that is fairly obvious I think the, the penalty count slash turnover combo is is the one that probably sort of characterises the game because you look at the, uh, the penalties for us. I think we started really badly, didn't we? We were on the wrong side of the referee for the first half an hour completely. But what's quite impressive, I think, is that we turned that round and we actually ended up being on the right side of the ref. And it's it's not a quality we've possessed in the past um, to sort of adapt in the game. But it's probably sort of um, Partially the Currys, who are really intelligent players as well as being very good, um, playing you know really sensibly at the breakdown and getting on the right side of the ref. And I think that's that's you know it was billed as this battle of the battle of the open sides, and it, it it was in a way. But I think Sale had the better of that and stifled all the best momentum as I said before. So I think well the split on those penalties then. So it was fourteen conceded by Bath and eleven by Sale. I'd say we've probably conceded about eight or nine of ours in the first half. Yeah. Um, I think the second half was so much better. Um, so, you know, apart from that first 20 minutes when we just didn't get going, as we tend to do at home, we actually, it sounds weird, but we, apart from dropping the ball all the time and managing the game badly, we did play well. Defensively, we were good. Um, you know, in terms of attacking structure, we didn't really have any, but we did sort of, start to end up playing the right game eventually um, and I think from a turnover point of view just to come back to that one we I say you don't want to bill it as Battle of the Curries versus Underhill but it was in a way and we definitely won that and you know credit to those two they are outstanding I'm glad you finished on that point actually because I think the sort of best way to summarise this game is that as you said it's been very much billed as Tom Curry versus Sam Underhill 
two potential open side options for England at the World Cup. You know, who's going to um, get the better of the other uh, in a sort of very important premiership game? And the reason why Sale won on Friday was because in addition to Tom Curry and, and Sam Underhill playing exceptional games, we had Ben Curry to back him up. And I think if you actually look at it from a holistic point of view, you have Ben Curry and Tom Curry versus, uh, uh, versus um, Sam Underhill uh, and Tom Ellis. And the Curry's won. And just, I mean, I think, I thought Sam Underhill had a fantastic game. I thought Tom Curry had a fantastic game. But when you've got that option in Ben Curry to do everything that Tom does, but just on a different part of the field, is so important. And how many times over the years have we seen Sale lose these games because they don't have a kicker or they don't have the the grunt up uh, up front or one of the other myriad reasons. Uh, And to see, there's something very, very encouraging uh, about seeing Sale win a game like this when really Bath was by far the better team in the first 25-30 minutes the territory was better the dominant collisions were better talking about the penalties Selkirk getting pinged um, for offside uh, off the line outs uh, because Bath were just playing it really well and we just couldn't seem to get a grasp on when they were going to drop the ball down or, or when they were going to maul it and in reality, yeah, Bath, Bath sort of threw this one away through a combination of you know poor kicking and, and not taking advantage in the first half. But with how Sale managed to get a grasp on the game and ultimately sort of bring it to a complete standstill and ultimately get the win is is so encouraging, especially because it means that you know as the table stands now, Sale sit kind of comfortably in six on forty eight points. And this weekend, they, they, they leapfrog Bath, who are now down in eighth on 46 points. And, you know, it's, it's a massive eight-point swing with the table as close as it is. Winning a game like that, when it could have very easily gone a number of different ways, might be the difference between finishing the top six and finishing eighth this season. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, isn't it? When it comes down to tight games um, and end of season, it's it, these are the ones that matter, you know. You can go and, and I think the massively frustrating thing um, is that if we'd done beaten one of Newcastle or Worcester away, we would be in the top four now, I think, wouldn't yeah. we? I think we're three points off the top four. So it is, it's very frustrating in that sense. However, you can't, you, you know, you can't go and look at that. Um, Newcastle were fighting for their lives and still are, and Worcester are actually playing really well, as we saw when yeah. they beat Worcester on Sunday. So, it's probably not unexpected that we lost to those two. But it does show you that, you know, we're close and we're developing qualities that for a long time I think we've lacked. And I think that mental resilience to come through and get a 6-3 win. Um, and there are still things that need working on. That scrum at the end when we were sat playing with the ball in our own 22 with 20 seconds on the <laughs> clock and it was absolutely chucking it down was one of the most baffling things I've ever seen because I was sat there going, we're going to get turned over it. We're not putting enough men into the rook, and they're going to win a penalty. And shock, they won a penalty. Um, or was it a scrum? Sorry. It was a knock on um, from one of the Corries. Knock on, yeah, for the scrum. Just boot it, right? Um, you know, it's it's a bit like you'll know this. It's like Man City fans who um, <laughs> want to see passing football, but then it gets down to the last five minutes of quite a tense game, and John Stone starts passing it around the back four, and you just boot it. That's what we needed to do, and you know, we'll we'll. We will learn that, I think, um, or we will get better at sort of close control and shutting games out. But when you're in your own 22 and it's chucking it down, they're not going to run it 50 metres in this weather. Um, so I think, but the, as I say, overall, it's really encouraging that we are actually starting to get there. And to win a tight game, you see the effects on the table. Because for a long time, we weren't winning the tight games. And 
if you look at what Newcastle did last season, they didn't play that well, but they just won tight games and yeah. ended up in the top four. And you don't have to play that well. You don't have to be brilliant. you just got to get over the line. And I think you have to sort of make decisions as a rugby fan whether you want to watch people <coughs> running rugby or whether you want to win games. And you can do both, but it will take a hell of a long time to build and you have to watch you know, a few rubbish games to get there. So I think... To, to wrap a bow around this game, it's part of our long-term journey and that's how we're going to sell it to everyone um, because there wasn't really anything else in here, was there? And to be fair to the club, I think they realised that with the highlights video that they put out today, which is a must-watch. If you haven't seen it, you've got to go and watch that. Yeah, no, very good. I think there was uh, one. Only other thing I wanted to mention from this game um, was you uh, and Asham, late call-up to um, the bench. Uh, making, I believe, his first appearance in uh, in this 23-man squad uh, in a Premiership game. Ultimately, didn't come on, um, but obviously, interesting that he was the the man called up with uh, with Curtis Langdon uh, a late withdrawal. I can hear James from here screaming with excitement, <laughs> all the way from Qatar. Yeah, we should say that that is where James still is. He's still working out of Qatar, but uh, I'm sure he'll pop up a little bit later on uh, in the podcast. So I think ultimately we can all agree it was a pretty poor game on Friday, but it was a really important result that leaves us in a still relatively strong position to, to finish in the top six. And finishing in the top six and playing European Champions Cup rugby next season is something that a certain South African international lock will be banking on. This is, of course, the news that Lou Diaga, the Springbok second row, will be joining Sale on a three-year deal either at the beginning of the 2019-20 season or after the 2019 World Cup if he's selected to represent South Africa. The news broke on Wednesday afternoon, very frustratingly, uh, given that it was just after we'd uh, finished our podcast last week. Um, But Diaga is an absolutely fantastic signing. If you don't know anything about him, I've got the fat file for you here. 26 years old, a 6 foot 7, 19 stone, 6 pound lock. Someone who usually plays in the number five role for both uh, the Bulls in South Africa and the Springboks. He's been capped 38 times by the box, scoring four tries. And he's currently the captain of the Bulls in Super Rugby. Alex, I think it's fair to say that this might go down as one of the most impressive signings of the Diamond era, if not sales history. Yeah, absolutely. I think because of the player, the reputation he already comes with and... The fact he's in his he's in his prime, you know, when you look at our big signings over the years, Faf, um, brilliant player, but you know, wasn't getting wasn't playing for the Lions as much, just underappreciated in South Africa, I think. Uh, James O'Connor, brilliant player, but in a bit of, you know, not in the best form towards the end of his career. Um, someone like Marlon Yard coming with all the trouble from Quinns and hadn't been in great form, falling out of favour with England. You look at those signings and you sort of go they're really good players and they will be really good at sale and they have come good but they weren't brilliant when we signed them whereas this is a player who not only is just supremely talented but also in his prime as a rugby player in a position where we really need some high quality um, not that we haven't got high quality but just in terms of quality and depth and the type of player he is um, I just think it's such a good sign and to, to to, we we worried that we might have gone a little bit quiet on signings and that might have been it and I think this is a really really encouraging signing because when you look at our team now you sort of go 
where are our weakness areas? You, know, you look at number one, we've got Harrison and Morozov, um, both looking good. Hooker, we've got Rob Webber, who's probably playing the best he's played for a few years. We've talked about our tight props already. We know about the back row and we know about the back line. Um, but in second row, I think that's the area where we've said all season, we're sort of, we're not maybe not quite there for top four um, Champions Cup depth. And I think this changes that. This means that we have got so many options with Bryn Evans signing another one year deal, Josh Beaumont. You've got Evans and Beaumont in the four running the line out, and then Diago and Phillips as the heavyweight number fives. It's just, it's absolutely brilliant. And I'm so excited to watch him play because he's just massive. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter how you look at this signing for sale. It just ticks all the boxes. You know, proven international quality, you know, uh, check. Um, Fills a position of need, check. Fills a uh, position of depth as well because his arrival knocks everyone down the pecking order slightly. It means that you're not necessarily having to roll out Beaumont and Phillips. You can play Beaumont and... Um, Diaga, which I assume is going to be the starting second row combination next year, and it also um, checks off a replacement for Andrei Ostrakov, who uh, you know a lot of people you know are forgetting is going to to France next season, and so it means that actually if you look at our uh, depth for next year, with Bryn Evans re-signing on a one-year deal, you've got Beaumont and Evans, like you said, Alex, to play the four, and then you've got Phillips and Diaga to, to play the five, and you've got a nice mix of skill sets. And to be honest, body types as well, because if you want someone who's probably slightly more athletic, you play Diaga uh, in that five role. But if you want someone who's in theory, you know, in theory would be a slightly better mauler, you, you um, can put James Phillips in there. Someone who you'd sort of feel like Jonathan Mills role that sale for, for sale that um, the Sharks had a few seasons ago when he was sort of dovetailing with someone like Michael Patterson. So it gives sale options, it gives sale depth, and we've just been talking about how important it is to have these depth players who can play to a Premiership standard in winning games like we saw on Friday, having someone like Diaga means that if we really need to go to Worcester away from home and, and pick up an important win to, to keep fighting on two fronts you know, in the 2019-20 season, it means we've got that star power, not only in the backs but in the forwards as well, to really change a game. Uh, and I think it's just an, it's an absolute statement of intent. Um, we know where the Stephen Kitchoff money has gone now. And to be honest, I think you can you can you can make a case that that the position that we filled now was was one of even more importance than loose than loose head prop because whilst I think the depth is still a little bit suspect um, at prop and it is something that's going to be addressed, um, I think you look at genuine quality and not to say Beaumont and Phillips and Evans aren't that, but Ross Harrison could probably be the starting loose head for a top fourteen. And I really like Josh Beaumont, especially as a, a rangy, athletic lock at the, at the fall. But the, there are more questions about him and his ability to play at the absolute top level than there are about Ross Harrison. So adding Diaga is just a perfect sort of moment where not only need, desire, and obviously um, sort of talent and attraction is just basically filled perfectly. Because now... Not only do we have De Klerk and Van Rensburg and O'Connor, we've got another Tier 1 international to add to the team. And you can't tell me that adding someone like Diaga isn't going to make an impact on Josh Beaumont's game or the Curry's game or whoever or, or any of the other aspiring uh, English internationals that we've got. I think it is an absolutely fantastic sign, a real statement of intent. Um, and I think if you're looking for a comparable, um, you know, you'd start with someone like 
the impact that Franco Mostert has had at Gloucester. He's been one of the best locks in the entire Premiership this season. They're very slightly different players, of course, but considering their respective pedigree, like Diaga is is absolutely up there with Mostert, if not better. You know, he's yeah, as it stands, him, uh, Ibn Etzebeth and R.G. Uh, Snyman are the starting locks for South Africa. And to, to, to get a player like that and bring him to the Premiership is an absolutely fantastic move by Sale. And, you know, you, you just have to you know put your hands up and say well done to everybody involved at the club. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think the point about Mostert is a good one. And I think the impact that Diard will have on us will probably be equal, if not more, to the impact Mostert's have on Gloucester. And I, as, as you say, I can't wait to see it. I think it's exactly the sort of signing we need in it's probably exactly the signing we need. Um, so, yeah, I'm so excited for that next season. Um, and hopefully we'll be playing in the Champions Cup. Here's hoping. But to do so, we need to win our games against our middle six rivals. We did it on Friday, but can we do it again this Friday? As Sale travelled down to Bristol for their penultimate game of the season away at the newly formed Bristol Bears franchise. Now, unfortunately, as we said earlier, James can't be with us, um, but he has been able to send something over all the way from Qatar to get you ready for the game against Bristol on Friday night. And I'll now relinquish the space to James. So, going into the final two games of the season in sixth place in the league, we've got Bristol away and then Gloucester at home to come. We've already had a European semi-final. That's under our belts. Well, I would have snapped your hand off at the beginning of the season if you'd offered me that. And yet, that line between success and failure just feels to me to be very thin indeed. Bristol away. Well, we probably thought they might not have anything to play for by this stage of the season. But actually, they're right in the Champions Cup qualification mix. They're just three points behind Sale. And to come, well, they're at home against us. And then they go away to Falcons, who, let's be honest are now probably relegated. So how have they got here? Well, their form is okay since the beginning of February, but not brilliant. In fact, they've won two home, uh, two games, um, Gloucester at home and then Saints away. And then they have lost quite a few, actually. They've lost five games. They lost at home against Wasp, but with a losing bonus point. Away at Quinns. Um, home against Worcester, but again got a losing bonus. La Rochelle away, well, we've all been there. And Bath away, where they also got a losing bonus point. So in the games where they've lost, they have been highly competitive and got those losing bonus points. But it's really in the last two games that they've really hit their stride and put in two really quite remarkable performances. Firstly, Saracens at home, and then last week beating Leicester at Wilford Road. What an achievement that is for a newly promoted side, even taking into account Leicester's dreadful season. And they're doing it playing an attractive brand of rugby. Win or lose, they've scored 50 tries and 6 try bonus points, which I think rather puts us to shame somewhat. They're regularly getting 15,000 plus, sometimes 20,000 plus at Ashton Gate. It looks a cracking place to go and watch a game of rugby. And in terms of the players, well, if you look at their team sheet now, it doesn't look that scary at all. But that's because they's pick, they're picking on form Bristol at the moment. Someone like Callum Sheedy is now the number one ten at Bristol. Ian Madigan's stuck on the bench. 
And there's a familiar name inside centre in the last two games. Sam Bedlow, he came through the Sale Academy, was released by us. He started the last two games for Bristol, and I imagine he'll probably start against Sale again. Let's hope he doesn't come back to haunt us. And players like Harry Thacker and John Afoa, well, they've had a new lease of life at Bristol, been able to express themselves in the way that they want to. And then there's the likes of Piers O'Connor in the centre and Matt Prothero at fullback or at fly half, who are really starting to realise their potential. To beat them, we've really got to get our defence right. Because Bristol have no plan B. Yes, they attack from absolutely everywhere. But if we get it right, we'll completely smother their attack. And they have, as I said, no plan B. But it's a risk-reward thing. If we get it wrong, well, we're going to be conceding quite a few tries. When I look at the league in the final two games, I think it is possible to come top six with just one win from the last two. If we get two bonus points somehow from the last two games, then it does put us in the mix. But I think that that is in itself quite unlikely on this season's evidence. And even then, that might not be enough. I think we have to win both games. We must go to Ashton Gate and we must put Yogi, Boo Boo and all those other bears on their backsides. Come on, the boys. Well, and we want to say a big thank you, as always, to James, who even when he can't join us on the pod, is still bringing... Uh, his level of analysis and insight uh, ahead of the next game for sale. So, Alex, we've heard from James. Now it's time to hear from us too about what we can reasonably expect from sale against Bristol. An absolutely massive game, as James has already said, uh, in the in the battle for top four. Just as a quick refresher, uh, for those of you who don't have BBC Sports uh, Premiership table open with them at all times, like I do, sale are sixth on 48 points, Wasps are seventh on 47 points, Bath are eighth on forty-six points, and Bristol are ninth on forty-five points. Courtesy of their win over Gloucester last week, Worcester are still potentially in the mix for a top-six place, um, so we can't actually discount them as well. But I think when you look at the table, it's very much a case of Saints, Quins, Sale, Wasps, Bath, and Bristol. Uh, who are all still in the mix for the top six. So obviously with a couple of those teams playing each other uh, over the weekend and, and never to be taking points for each other, it's so important that Sale beat the only other the, the other team that they're in contention with, which is obviously Bristol. Because I think the, a really good way of looking at this game, and I'd be interested to see if you agree, Alex, is that if Sale beat Bristol on Saturday, on Friday, not only do we bolster our own top six chances, but we basically kill off Bristol's at the same time. Yeah, which would be quite sweet, wouldn't it? I think um, I'm not. Um, I it's a massive game, and I think when we we need to win, I'm not massively confident we will. Um, just because I think Bristol playing very well, and to travel away to them is going to be really difficult. Um, but we've got every chance to sort of. I think we effectively lock down top six um, if we beat Bristol. Um, you know, there's. There's a few permutations within that, and as we've seen this season, you never know what happens in this league. But I think going, coming back to the last game of the season at home to Gloucester, um, with that with a win against Bristol away under our belts, would be a massive confidence boost for not only this season but next season as well. Um, whether we can do it remains to be seen. I think we, you know, Bristol are a very strange team, and that they've got a lot of potential and sometimes they play to it and sometimes it just seems to all go missing a bit and you know 
even even look at them at home to Leicester and say, okay, well they beat Leicester at home, so you know that was a, a solid performance and we should be in danger. But then you look at them away to La Rochelle in the Challenge Cup and you go, actually we put in a better performance there than they did. Um, so it's one of those where both teams can either have very good or very bad days. Uh, unfortunately, last week we had a pretty bad day and Bristol had a comparatively pretty good day. Um, obviously we won, but in terms of performance it was quite poor. And I think if we want to win this game, I don't think defence is the issue as much as I've just talked about it or part to say how important it is. I think scoring some tries is massively important and whether we can do that is sort of going to determine how we do in the game, I think. For, for me, the, if we can get the back line moving as it has you know, earlier in the season, then then we will... You know, We've got great players there. You, know, you think about Denny on the wing... Um, you'd probably back against anyone really in the Premiership at the moment. You think about how O'Connor's been playing. Um, obviously, we don't just talk too much about Faf, but then in the forwards as well, you know, you've got players who the Currys in the loose are excellent players. Um, so it's just about getting that attacking structure that we can put teams to the sword and having the the sort of thinking clearly and being able to execute it. Um, and if we can do that, I don't see why we can't win the game. But I just feel on recent form. Bristol have got to be the favourites here for me. Yeah, and I think that's a, a very fair viewpoint to take. And I think you made a really important point about Bristol's attacking potency in that if you look at the table, they are the sixth highest scoring team in the league this year. And of everyone outside the top five, they are, you know, they've, they've, they've scored the most points. So they are obviously sort of the best of the rest in terms of putting points on the board. And, and it's interesting, actually, that they're something of an inverse of sales from this season in that we've struggled to score points, but we've had a, a pretty strong defence, whereas Bristol have had a, quite a leaky defence. You know, they've conceded the second most points in the league this year, but they've also scored quite a few as well. And I've had a quick look at the Bristol's weather forecast and it looks like conditions should be relatively dry for the game so it should lend itself reasonably well to a game of attacking rugby and this is kind of we've been talking about it for the second half of the season eventually sales backline needs to click into gear and, and you know start scoring some tries because we're, we are going to get into a shootout at some point and we are going to have to sort of match uh, match up well on the back line as well as up front and you sort of look at everything that's fallen into place and it feels like this this game against Bristol on Friday could be could be precisely that because you know we're going to talk about some of the players to, to look out for in a minute but the potency that Bristol have you know not only in their back line but with some of the players you know Stephen uh, Luatua, Jordan Crane, Chris Vui, Harry Thacker these are all very very good players in the loose who can all throw the ball around who can all break tackles and who can all ultimately score tries and so that will have to be at their absolute best from an attacking standpoint uh, to match up with that because we could quite easily go down to Bristol and, and grind out a win if, if you know if conditions favour it but I think the way to approach this game is that you know we have to fight fire with fire we, we, we know our defence can hold up well you know we saw that on Friday we've seen it throughout the season but with how well Bristol are playing at the moment and how they've been able to score tries in a myriad of ways, we really need to see something more from Sales backline in this game than we have throughout the season so far if we have a, a genuine chance of winning and consolidating that position in the top six. Yeah, I don't think it's a go or gung ho and you know, throw the ball around and make it a loose game approach because I think we'll probably struggle with that as well. I just think, you know, when we get into attacking positions it's not about 
creativity. We don't struggle with creativity. We struggle with execution. And it's about, you know, getting into the 22 and keeping hold of the ball. Because if you look at the way we've played over the last few games, our issues aren't in breaking the line or, you know, creating space. Our issues are that when we do that, we drop the ball or we get bundled into touch or we lose it and turn over at the rook because we get isolated. And, you know, they're easy fixes in a way. Um, but we need to make sure that when I think we are we are really close and it's one of those where we're probably operating about 80% at the moment as Simon Orange said if we operate 95% we'll beat most teams and if we operate 95% we'll beat Bristol but we just need to have that execution in in, in our whole game to ensure that we actually put some points on the board because that's what we really struggled to do and I think I think it, it seems like it's there and we're close, but you never know do you on the day. And I think travelling away is hard, especially on Friday night. Um, but hopefully, we've had a we've had a full week of rest. Bristol have only had uh, six days, so whether that will tell slightly as well, maybe maybe evens it up a bit with the home advantage and us having to travel down there. So I think you know it's it's well within our grasp, and if we can play to our potential, we will win this game. But I think recently we haven't been playing to our potential, so it's how we get the best out of the team and ensure that actually what we're doing is is good enough to win. That's the issue. Well, I think in terms of getting the most out of the team, the spotlight has to be on one particular player, and I think that's AJ McGinty. And you know, regular listeners to this podcast will know that I am uh, you know, a self-confessed uh, avowed fan of McGinty. Um, I really like uh, his skill set and what he brings to the team. But there are red flags around how well he functions within a top-four team and potentially even a top-six team. And I think over the last few weeks, we've really not seen enough from McGinty in term, from an attacking standpoint. And it's not, you know, his fault. You know, you, you go away to La Rochelle, very tough game against a very good team. You know, the conditions on Friday, very poor, really hard to make anything. But you look at the Quinn's game, which was decent conditions against a team that, you know, has been pretty, you know, average defensively. And we didn't really see enough from McGinty. Now, his, his goal kicking is so good that it really can make up for it. And at this point of the season, if we're just kicking points and, and winning games that way, then that's absolutely fine. But I think there does have to be a bit of a spotlight on McGinty because I think since coming back from, from injury and international duty, he's he's not necessarily played to his potential. And I think because he plays such a pivotal role, not only within uh, the team, but so, uh, but just, uh, just in terms of a position on the field, when you're not getting star performances from your fly half it's very difficult to get star performances from Denny Solomona Chris Ashton Luke James Van Rensburg O'Connor whoever else and I think if Sale are to win on Friday we absolutely need to see more from McGinty um, I think it's difficult because you know we've talked about this before it's really difficult to get a bounce because you've got such a ball dominant scrum half in Fafter Clerk you know who, who can you know, do you know do a lot and more than than some fly halves can do in terms of you know attacking vision and, and ability and kicking. But I'd absolutely love to see McGinty uh, have a really good game, and I think it genuinely believe if we are to win this game, we need to see McGinty vary up the attack a little bit. We need to see the ball out of De Clerk's hands a little little bit more as well with McGinty getting the ball wide, and that's really get the, we need to get the ball to Ashton and Solomona because in a game that we've just set up where there's a lot of attacking potential and a lot of attacking opportunities we're not going to win by running one out runners or playing crash ball rugby 
I think it's really important that we see McGinty sort of very, uh, very the attack up, mixing some kick in, kick his points when he needs to, but we definitely need to see him sort of take the initiative and, and bring some of our very talented players into the game because, to be perfectly honest, the likes of Solomon and Sam James have barely, play, barely played 80 minutes on uh, on Friday given how, uh, how, how much of the time they spent just standing around. Yeah, it's really true. And I think one of the players who will be quite important as well is Chris Ashton because he's one of the only players who's sort of been at the highest level really and done it in especially the Premiership but also just generally in, in the final you know the end of the season and I think you know it's is it a coincidence that we get a bit of mental resolve when he comes back you know we we I don't know whether he has an effect on the team or what I don't think his performances have necessarily been really affecting the team but I don't know whether there's a mental thing with him that he's been there and done it at the top top level in both France and England and internationally. And I think, you know, you look at, he came back for the La Rochelle game, we put in a really good performance. And um, against Bath, we put in a really solid performance. Worcester's an aberration, I suppose, in that. But I think Ashton can have a massive say in this game. Um, and I think if he, you know, he, he doesn't have to do much, but if he scores one crucial try, you'll see his worth to the team. And I think, He's, he's a massive part of that sort of mental side of the game, uh, him and John Ross, as opposed to also, you know, the, the on field side of the game, in effect. And I think to get the likes of Ashton into the game, we need to see more attacking creativity. And you said it's not an issue uh, that, that Sale have had in the past. You know, the, the, the ability there to, to think of creative ways to, to breach a defence are definitely there. But I think it's a lot easier to execute when the ball's in the hands of your fly half rather than your scrum half. And we've seen, you know, Sell run some very, very good set moves with De Klerk as the, as the primary ball carrier and, and playmaker. But I think as we've gone through the season, we're seeing teams key up on De Klerk even more so than they did last year. And with that happening, you need McGinty to step up. And I think there's some really good opportunities, especially if conditions, um, you know, stay stay relatively well and, and you know conditions are good underfoot there'll be some great opportunities for McGinty um, to sort of float passes into to Ashton or have him running off his shoulder or Solomona or James or Van Rensburg or whoever and really like force Bristol to come out and play it at which point we can we can definitely match them if, if we've got our star players in our back line you know fronting up well against uh, against Bristol's um, just quickly then are there any other key players that you want to identify from, from Bristol to keep an eye on I know I went through the forwards uh, a little bit earlier on from Bristol, sorry. From Bristol. Um, if Piotr plays, he's always quite scary. Um, I really like Luke Morahan as a winger. I think he's um, really talented. And we tend to struggle against good wingers as a general rule. Um, other than that, I think I think we've got them really. In, as you say, you picked out the forwards, and I think the forwards are their threat. Especially if they add a lot to their attacking game, like some of Um I think they bring a lot to the sort of way they play on the front foot. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, in the backs, they've got some good players, but I don't think they've got anyone who sort of we need to be massively worried about. Um, apart from if Piotr decides he wants to have a good game, as he is wont to do occasionally. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think with Bristol, Harry Thacker is obviously the key one. If he, if he in, in the sort of, just in their driving mall, if their driving mall gets going, you can see him scoring a couple against us. Um, so that's a massive part. I think James Phillips has got a big role to play um, in in hopefully trying to stop that. Um, but you know, the other way to stop that is to not give away penalties, which they can kick to the corner. Um, so you've just got to it's it's there's ways to approach it, um, but 
I think being conscious of their threat in the tight, but also sort of, you know, not letting them play too loose. It's a really fine balance, isn't it? If you take the game tight, they'll maul you over the, over the try line. If you take it loose, Lewitter will throw it around and Piotel will have a payday. So, um, you know, I think, I don't think there's anyone we need to fear um, at all. I think we've, if we, as I say, we've, we've got the better squad, I think, marginally, and if we play to our potential, we will win. So, um on that note, we should probably do some predictions, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, uh, just really quick question on our approach to the game. Um, you mentioned sort of keeping it, you know, tight, but also a little bit loose at the same time. Um, we've sort of uh, we've, we've sort of chatted a little bit earlier about how well Curry Curry Ross went as a back row trio. I would be very tempted to keep them um, as a combination coming into this game. Um, whilst I think you know Bristol has some you know you know big ball carriers, I suppose as does every team. Um, this could be a really good game for for both Currys and Ross to shine, especially if the game opens up a little bit, um, because obviously they are fantastic players in the loose, and actually uh, Bristol's pack aren't quite as physical uh, as Bath's were comparatively uh, last week. So I think this this could be a game once again where both Currys really thrive, and I think John Ross could have a, a really good game as well. And in the back line, I think again it depends on what happens with Van Rensburg. Um, obviously. Wasn't in the 23, missed the Lavashaw game due to the suspension. Um, but I think if he's back, you put him in at 12, um, you move O'Connor to 13, um, and probably move Sam James to 15, I think. Um, but it's it's so difficult at the moment because of how well uh, Luke James is playing. So I think you absolutely have to get Van Rensburg back in there if he is available, especially given the relative lack of form we've seen from James O'Connor. But as we were talking about last week, you know, do you bring up Van Rensburg in and sacrifice the solidity that Luke James has offered or do you move O'Connor to keep everyone else it is and move O'Connor to the bench is a bit of an X factor which in a game as yeah, which in a game against Bristol away in decent conditions could could end up being a, a real X factor I think to be fair I don't think Sam James has been playing that well so I don't think dropping in would be the worst thing in the world he's a brilliant player um, and obviously the conditions if they are dry will suit him a bit more but I, you know I think O'Connor's been playing I think if if you bring in Bram Rensburg back and you move one of our centres out, James is the one that goes because I think O'Connor's been playing better in recent weeks and I don't think Sam James has played well enough to put him at full-back in place of Luke. Um, so if that is the case, then it's worth a go, I think. And I think, you know, then you've got Sam James on the bench as a sort of utility back and um, you're sort of covering more positions than you would otherwise. Um whether we would do that, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the situation is with Van Rensburg. Um, we don't really have any any idea, do we? But, um, yeah, that would be... If Van Rensburg's fit, I'd go Van Rensburg, O'Connor in the centres and Sam James to the bench. But if Van Rensburg fit is the uh, the ultimate question, isn't it? Mm. Any any changes in the forwards? No, unless Will Grip John, depending on what Will Grip John's doing. But I'd keep that back row. I think the rest pick themselves, don't they, at the moment. But uh, Bryn Evans is injured. He's had some... Mm plates in his cheek after the Quinns game apparently uh, that was in the rugby paper so um, he, I assume he won't be playing I think they're waiting to sort that out so it's probably the last time we've seen him this season realistically um, so I think the second row picks itself the back row I'd keep the same because I thought they were brilliant and uh, in the front row definitely Harrison Webber and then um, you've sort of got the luxury of Wilbur John or Joe Jones at three whoever is fit is, is good with me 
I don't think it matters who's fit. I think you start Joe Jones over Willowgriff John. That's that's my part take for this After week. That's the last week. Yeah, I've, 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 he's played a lot of rugby. He's played a lot of rugby. You know, even if he is available, he might not be a hundred percent. And to be honest, I think this this is a game where Joe Jones could really really excel. I think we've really seen him come into uh, a purple patch at the end of the season, and I'd be really tempted to go with with the hot hand, as it were, um, and give him a, a first Premiership start at three. Uh, right, so let's uh, for the second time. Let's uh, let's try and do some predictions. So uh, I'm predicting a very open, very uh, exciting game of rugby. Um, two teams that are just going to be scoring tries all over the place. I'm going to say Sale 31, Bristol 27. Oof. Well, I had written down 27-23 to Sale because I'm feeling weirdly confident. Don't know why. Um, so you're 31 27 to Bristol. Yep. You get that right. Uh, I'm 27 23 to Sale, so one of us is going to win. Uh, just like you know, last week you said 21 13. Sorry, so sorry, no, sorry, no. I've, um, sale 31, Bristol 27. Sale 31, Bristol 27. Excellent. I'm glad you're optimistic. Yep. Join me on that that particular bandwagon. Um, God, say, well, hopefully, we, we both predicted a sale win last week and we got one. Hopefully, we're both predicting a sale win this week and we get one again. <laughs> Uh, well that's it for this week's episode Um, thank you for everyone who tweeted us thank you for everyone who put up with 80 minutes of miserable rugby uh, on Friday night Um, thank you to uh, everyone um, who listens to the podcast everyone who's been subscribing thank you to everyone who's been helping out actually on Facebook we know some people have been having issues with uh, Apple podcasts and not being able to access the show so thank you to everyone who's been sort of um, showing each other the best sort of ways to um, sort of access the pod Um, and I think that's just about everything. Um, thank you to Steve Darren for signing Lou Diaga. Um, thank you to Ali Eakin and the Sale uh, media team for making sure that everyone knew just how miserable a game it was on Friday. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you, Alex, for joining me. And thank you, Lewis, for a lovely chat. And hopefully we see some good rugby next week to go with the, um, the good chat as opposed to this week when the rugby... It's rubbish and the chat had to bring you uh, and say that.